It's amazing how in this time, all of the flaws of all of the hollow empires of the world, you know, they become so much more apparent. Like everything gets magnified, everything that's broken, it becomes so much more apparent just how broken it is. Hello, welcome to The Low Season, a podcast about tour guides navigating a pandemic. I'm Wouter Bernhardt, a tour guide from Berlin, though it's been a while since I have seen the remnants of the Berlin Wall. My guest today is Melpool. Melpool is transgender and uses they, them pronouns. Mel has been a guide in Berlin for 14 years, originally studied anthropology and neuroscience, and since they've been in Berlin, also heavily involved in the Berlin club scene. I, for mental health reasons, I go dancing like twice a week. It's one of the reasons that I live in Berlin. It's one of the reasons that I moved to Berlin in 2007. We talk about traveling and the impact tourists have on Berlin. Um, You don't have people really able to live there anymore that were a part of the revolution that brought down the Berlin Wall. And the future of work as a tour guide. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, going to be a time where everybody starts a podcast in the tour guiding community almost. Let's have a listen to Malpol. On that note, Mal, how are you doing? Uh, well, uh, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, I'm up there with most people though, uh, just sort of listlessly, uh, getting by, but, uh, yeah, some people are being super productive right now. Uh, bravo, uh, Vota. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm working a lot on, on, uh, personal stuff, I guess I would say. So I, I guess it's not completely terrible you know, stuff that you routinely push to the side because you're too busy. Now you have to, yeah, I'm sure you've heard this a couple of times now. <laughs> do, do, you, do you feel that people are being very productive? You know, I, uh, <laughs> maybe this is something we'll get into a bit more later. I was reading an article um, from Sleek Magazine and um, it's sort of a not so hoity-toity um, style and culture mag for Berlin. You know, they report on stuff like street art. And the article was just about all the collectives in Berlin and how they're getting through. And one of my favorite quotes was that perhaps the drive to be productive is uh, capitalist baggage. And we should just really be more concerned with our, you know, our our health right now and just um, trying to soldier through and express solidarity. And that quote actually came from the Berlin Strippers Collective. So I think they know what they're talking about. (laughs) They know what they're talking about. Yeah, but I feel like I've, in my conversations there is a there's many people who who feel that they need to be productive. Yeah. Then there's people who have been very productive in like the first maybe two weeks and are now mm. realizing that maybe they don't need to maybe be so productive. Mm. And then there's people the complete opposite who are sort of completely shut down in the first couple of weeks and only now slowly are trying to look around a little bit and and figure what that what it actually is that they want to do. I feel like I'm in that last group in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it's really difficult. I mean, even people who pretend to be spontaneous, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say pretend, you know, they rely on external structures of patterns and repetitions and all of that breaks down and it just takes a while to reorient, I think. And I think people who have already have some problems, for example, probably take longer to reorient too. There, there's, there's, of course, not one real way of doing it, uh, but, but can you maybe talk me through sort of your um, yeah experiences over the last maybe say month or so? Um, well, sure. I mean, uh, should I talk just about myself or some of the people that I've had social distancing contact with too? Oh, oh absolutely. Okay. That, that is very much part of your experience. Sure, sure. So I'm um, I'm really heavily invested in um, 
uh, queer communities in Berlin in a lot of different ways. So I guess that my experiences and the experiences of those around me are kind of heavily impacted by that ground reality, you know, the inequalities that already exist. Um, I mean, maybe just as a reflection before the crisis hit, there was already a lack of um, English speaking therapists that could specifically address queer issues. And, you know, I've heard therapists say, why is why do you need someone who's a specialist in that? And I mean, quite frankly, the worst thing imaginable is to go into a therapy session and hear somebody, you know, repeat all the same stuff you have to deal with on a daily basis where you have to justify yourself to them. You have to define everything for them. It's really nice to have like a therapist that has competency already and is familiar with terminology and things like that. I uh, personally have two partners and one of them is doing a lot more pro bono therapy work um, online during this time. So I think it's really interesting to see how this particular community was particularly affected and also how there were some like solutions that were there um, that people were already trying to engage with and it kind of just forced everybody to take a good hard look at them. So actually, I think like one of the positive outcomes from this might be more available therapy for more people that were already having problems. But I read in a Guardian poll, which, you know, I try to read a lot of different newspapers. I know some people don't read any right now. Uh, it was something like 80% of respondents that were already having mental health issues before the crisis have uh, had worsened conditions since. So, you know, it's a pretty general thing uh, that I think a lot of people are experiencing as much as our experiences are different. Do you see this crisis then as something that can have a positive outcome? Um, I, f I feel like uh, it could. And I think that there are some positive signs. I feel like a lot of people who live in really heavily polluted places, for example, are getting a glimpse of the future. I'm sure that's a recurrent theme for some folks, um, what the future could be. But I mean, honestly, I don't know if you saw this is um, just hot off the presses this week. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race in the United States. So, yeah, he did. So unless um, Biden adopts the Green New Deal or Trump <laughs> adopts the Green New Deal, um, the U.S. has pretty much decided that the climate doesn't matter. And Donald Trump is simultaneously trying to bail out the cruise ship industry. And this is probably an unpopular opinion. But, you know, I'm really sad for all those people that lost their jobs. But the cruise ship industry is the death star of tourism. It really is. And uh, I don't see the cruise ship industry really bouncing back from this. I really hope that that's a positive outcome from this. They're the most polluting form of tourism per capita. Um, they're also, in this crisis, chiefly responsible for the spread of the virus. And this is no surprise. They spread the stomach flu, the norovirus, a while back. That wasn't nearly as deadly, of course. But, you know, they didn't change standards. So I think that's maybe a positive outcome. I, I hope that the flight reductions we're seeing now that might stimulate a new normal, which is again, probably not a popular tour tourism opinion to have. Um, and solidarity work and solidarity work at the ground level too. Sorry, I just want to say that like, I'm really seeing people getting involved in mutual aid. There's another Wikipedia hole to dive into that I don't think would have before. And of course, um, unpopular opinions in some political parties are now becoming popular solutions 
And I think that's happening in positive ways just as much as negative. So sorry, yeah. Well, what are some of the things you're into, you're, you're introducing or you're, you'd like to see happen? So no more cruise ships, um, less people flying also means a radically, radically less people coming to Berlin. And that means radically less work for tour guides. Yeah, I, I think that this is, uh, it's sort of a, a bubble. Um, and I sort of uh, have felt that way for a while. And I've always been scared of what was going to happen when it dropped out. I got in at the ground floor, I think in like 2007, when the kind of tourism that a lot of the guides you talk to um, sort of started. And, you know, back then, there were maybe a couple of tens of tours operating in Berlin from every company every day. And it's over hundreds now. And the niche tourism uh, as well, I think that's probably going to evaporate a little bit. I think we're going to see a kind of difference in the people that are coming here. What I would like to see is the city tourism boards, not just in Berlin, but around the world, advertising for off-season travel a little bit more. Um, so I would actually, I would like to see um, not only Airbnb crash out, I don't just want to like tear something down. I would like to see some kind of fair sort of reckoning of how we admit people into the city. I mean, honestly, my, my, my biggest idea ever would be to clone um, Sven from Berghain and you know, have them at the airports and at the ports to Berlin asking people why they're coming to the city. <laughs> you know, are, what, what are you here for? You know, at the club, the answer is whatever DJs are playing that night. I think a lot of people just go traveling as well. And I think they need to reevaluate why they do this because it's on somebody else's bucket list. You know, there's no specific interest there. They have no idea why they're even there. Does it, does it really matter so much? It does to me, actually, because not knowing why they're there means that they don't know how to participate at all when they first arrive. And this has transformed Mitza in the city of Berlin. Mitza, you know, where hundreds of thousands of people marched for the fall of the Berlin Wall in, in 1989. Mitza has no sign of political graffiti anymore, not really. Um, you don't have people really able to live there anymore that were a part of the revolution that brought down the Berlin Wall. You know, just a couple of years back, we saw this luxury apartment development to go up around the um, the TV tower. You know, thank you for tearing down the wall. Could you please move along? And that's tourism. That's people complaining about graffiti. Um, the homeless also get pushed off because people complain about them. And I feel like if you had people coming to Berlin that understood what Berlin meant to many of the people that had been attracted to the city because they learned about it and they, you know, grew up here. I don't feel like they would be complaining about these things. I think that they would see them from a different perspective. And so I think that's kind of, you know, it's like an existential issue more than anything else. I don't think all solutions are policy and regulatory related. I, I think people need to really reevaluate the reasons that they're traveling um, and why they're traveling. Honestly, honestly, like I, I will die from starvation if I can't work in tourism. So simultaneously, I, I acknowledge there's this like conflicting interest here. I, and I, I really um, relate to that. Um, I, I've had many experience or many days when I, I am doing cruise tours as well, um, driving buses around and talking to people. But it is sometimes perverse to see how many of these buses are driving through the city center and hordes of people coming up. And I, it's so double because it is my livelihood, right? It's where I get my money from. At the same time, it is, yeah, I don't know. I've, it is, there has been a lot of people 
in the middle of the city been driven around i i just wanted to ask you what is what is all of this meant for you personally like what what is what are you what have you been doing in the last couple of weeks and how do you see yeah the foreseeable future can i say something really quickly just one last thing to be fair with cruise ship tourism and our involvement with it i mean personally i made a decision not to be involved with it a while ago so i actually turned those down but it's not exactly just the Death Star. It's as if you were contracted to build the Death Star, but when you started building it, it was just a little port, you know? <laughs> it was just this little spaceport. And then all of a sudden, partway through, you realize, oh my God, it's become this huge monster. Because I, I don't really think it's fair to paint every single guide involved in cruise ship tourism as like a massive part of this problem. I mean, there's obviously like a hierarchy of responsibility to talk about too, um, where people have more or less power. But yeah personally. Um, well, it's been tough. I work in uh, uh, I work in kind of the underground club industry in Berlin. Um, and uh, I mean, those parties were always small. Um, they never really changed in size from 2007 to today. They're not the kind of parties where you don't recognize people. They're the kind of parties where everybody's dancing and it's kind of one big happy family sort of a thing. And uh, that has been difficult to deal with the absence of I, uh, I, for mental health reasons, I go dancing like twice a week. It's one of the reasons that I live in Berlin. It's one of the reasons that I moved to Berlin in 2007, just that I can do that. And in an environment where I don't have to worry about assholes. Um, it's just trying to cope with that personally has been difficult. So, uh, actually we're having, a, I live with a partner and we're going to have a little individual dance party tonight. <laughs> Um, trying to read as much news as possible is a strategy for me personally. And I know it's not for other people, but I get a real sense of calm, feeling like I know exactly what's going on at any point in time. Um, but simultaneously, I also try not to do it all day long. So I have like a specific time that I will look at news. What I haven't heard you talk about a lot actually is your your own personal experience as so is 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 um yeah you, what i haven't heard you talk about is tour guiding like i mean you 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 personally as a as a guide i mean you you have been doing it for, for a long time and it's I, I don't know do you see yourself tour guiding anytime soon or when yeah what, what does your future look like in that respect well i've been restricted for years by german immigration law to only work as a tour guide or in neuroscience, which was my field of study for master's and um, post-master's research. And uh, I've been for the longest time trying to get that allowance to do additional kinds of work because I never really wanted tourism and tour guiding to be my main form of work, but you know how it is. The performative aspect of it, the teaching aspect of it, you know, the entertainment aspect of it. It's just amazing. And um, I, I will want to continue to do that at some level. Unfortunately, I just got the ability to take any job right before the coronavirus hit. And uh, kind of everything's up in the air right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, going to be a time where everybody starts a podcast in the tour guiding community almost. Could be. <laughs> I mean, uh, this, is, this is even... It's not this the the show is not even allowing myself to think in into the long time future. It's sure. just something I I can do 
now. Mm. You know, I can do now. I'd like to do it now. I'd like to talk to people, and it's something I'm 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 capable of doing. I know how to do it. It's just I haven't really allowed myself to look into the future just yet. Yeah, I I guess as well. Um, one of the things that I uh, really miss about um the guiding experience. I mean, it was a cheap way to be an anthropologist and. I didn't really care about producing any research results. It was just something that um, from the very beginning I found really intriguing, just the way that you can interact with people, the kind of people you can meet, and you know, people outside of your comfort zone all the time. And like trying to be authentic with those people in particular for me is a very interesting practice and self-awareness. And I really miss that. And I almost feel like um, a part of my self-definition is gone not being able to interact with those people. I've done the calculation and I have met plus or minus 10,000 because I haven't done it that well, uh, at least around 100,000 people over the 14 years that I've been doing these tours. You know, yeah, it's just, it's very strange to go from one day talking to new people every day to, I think I talk to maybe four people on a regular basis now including my partner. <laughs> um, so that's, that's been, that's been pretty, that's been pretty rough. And uh, what to do with that additional energy, it, you know, it's not like I can just go running and all of that thought energy is gone. Uh, it's a different kind of energy. I think, I think that's a really rough thing to deal with right now. I guess maybe a lot of people who are performers and in the arts are dealing with in general. What, what I'd like to do, um, I mean, we've been chatting for a little bit. I, I don't want it to necessarily go on too long. But what I'd like to do is maybe catch up with you also in the future and talk a little bit more about where you think the tourism industry maybe should develop towards. I mean, this is, of course, a kind of a crazy moment still. A lot of things have been just very recent. But maybe it's also a moment to, to start thinking a little bit about, well, if things... If we think things need to change, then where did we are? What what things need to be changed? Well, uh, really briefly on that point, I see a really easy analogy for anybody that's ever experienced the um, uh, tables waiting industry in the United States. You know, there's a structural problem um, in uh, the state of Indiana, where I hail from. Um, you can earn as little as three dollars an hour as a waiter. And you're also required to report your tips as taxes. And this is the tipping culture of the United States. This is where it comes from. But it means that the true costs of labor are not represented in the price of the pizza that you order at a restaurant, right? And I feel very much that within tourism and across the board in the gig economy, that really needs to be rethought. I, I don't think that it's a solution. Uh, you and I work for a couple of different companies in common. Um, I don't think it's a solution that even the people in charge of those companies can accomplish on their own. It, it would be like restaurateurs trying to do it in the United States. You know, taxes need to be restructured. The model needs to be restructured. And uh, I, I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest things that's going to have to happen if, if it's going to continue to exist. Um, and, and specifically, I'm thinking about employment. I think that might end up being, it might end up being the most sustainable thing. But I mean, that's going to mean ticket prices are going to go up. Um, so it's not really going to solve tons of people being out of work. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mal. And um, I uh, hope to speak to you soon. Yeah, ditto. Ciao. Have a good day. 
All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Malpole, everybody, with plenty of food for thought. Rethinking, for example, whether being productive and what kind of productivity would help us, would suit us in a moment of crisis and unemployment. Then there was the bigger chat on our industry at large, how Mel doesn't really mind seeing cruise ship tourism disappear. The cruise ship industry is the death star of tourism. Mel sees these corona times as a window of opportunity to rethink why we travel to places. Whether it's okay to mindlessly hop on an airplane to London, Berlin or Paris just because some blog tells us to go there. And of course, at the very end of the conversation, Mel talks a little bit about the business model on which our industry is currently built, whether employment might be a viable option for tour guides after the pandemic subsides. In the beginning of the episode, Mel spoke a bit about mental health issues in the queer community. If anyone is looking for more information on financial, legal, and mental health guidance, especially those with non-German backgrounds, Mel shared a couple of organizations that can provide for assistance. I've put the links to the organizations up in the show notes. Listeners of The Low Season, that was it for today. We're back with another fresh conversation tomorrow. If you enjoyed today's episode, let me know. It's always great to hear how the show is of any help and what you'd like to hear in the future. You can shoot me a message at thelowseasonpodcast at gmail.com. The Low Season is produced by me, Wouter Bernhardt. Music is by Mark Schilders. Artwork by Sergio Membrias. Georgia Riungu just cut my hair. And well, I can say that my hair has now been cut. Speak soon, my friends. My, my my biggest idea ever would be to clone um, Sven from Bergheim and, you know, have him at the airports and at the ports to Berlin asking people why they're coming to the city. <laughs> you know, are, what, what are you here for? They have no idea why they're even there. <laughs>